Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. This morning's reading is from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Rich. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. You all look awesome. I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue uh, part two of our Ephesians series. Uh, if you were here from last week, uh, Pastor Luis uh, kicked off our series with giving us and educating us on the importance of this letter and uh, even how we should read all of Paul's epistles. Uh, but before we jump into the word this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be Uh, in your house today. God, we just ask you for a new revelation of your word. Uh, Speak to our hearts and our minds uh, so that when we leave here, God, that we knew you, we know you better than we did when we came in. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if I haven't got to meet you yet, my name is Taylor. I have the opportunity to be uh, one of the pastors here. I specifically uh, oversee youth, so uh, I usually have some good stories, but um, Uh, Just thankful for the opportunity to share this morning. Uh, And before I go any further, I do want to highlight just a few things that Pastor Luis and Michelle mentioned uh, during our welcome announcements. So if you weren't in here uh, for that, I just want to let you know that today, right after this service, so in just a few, uh, not long from now, is our growth track right here in this room. Lunch and child care is provided. And if you're new to Generation or you've been at Generation uh, for any amount of time, growth track is strictly just to come and hear uh, what God's doing in our church and how you can be a part of it. And so we invite you to be uh, a part of that with us today. Lunch and child care is provided. 
Uh, like I mentioned, it'll be about uh, roughly an hour, uh, so we'll get through it pretty quick and we can be on our way. Also, um, if you dropped off your kids today, you notice a little bit of a change up there. We swapped a few, a few rooms. Uh, the, our four and five year old room and our nursery, we just swapped the room. So now it goes from elementary four and five, two and three and the nursery. And then uh, so if you have kids in there and uh, you're caught off guard, now you know. Um, but uh, there's also we do want to make uh, you aware it's at your disposal. But there is a mother's room at the very end of the hall where if you just need some time to yourself to nurse, to feed um, or uh, if you're like, I'm not a mom, obviously, but I like to be by myself sometimes. So there you go. It's there for you. The service is on the screen for you to uh, still be a part of everything that is going on today. Um, also, our crew party. So I mentioned Growth Track is August 29th. If you come to Growth Track today, uh, you can definitely be a part of that celebration that will be right here on August 29th, right here in this room. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So we hope to see you there today. Uh, so I'm excited to kick off this, this teaching and this, this study. Uh, you know, this is a letter. The, uh, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to a, a, a body of people um, in the nation of Ephesus, which is now referred to as Turkey. Um, so uh, if you've ever been there, uh, you know that there's a pretty large distance between uh, Ephesus and Israel. So to know that Paul walked that far, someone came up to me after service and said that Israel and Turkey or Ephesus are actually 790 miles apart from each other. So to know that uh, Paul walked that far, I'm pretty sure he didn't have on a pair of hokas or on cloud or whatever those shoes are called. And uh, maybe had on something about as uncomfortable as Birkenstocks and uh, walked that far. So that would, be, that would be like walking from here to the Keys. A little bit less than how long it would take to walk from here to the Keys. Uh, but Pastor Luis did such a great job on introing this book and, and things that we can know. But what I do want to spend a few minutes doing is just kind of going over an, a history lesson before we jump into the issue at hand, what we feel like Paul is writing to us. Obviously, everything that Paul is writing is very important. I saw a, a video on Instagram uh, a few days ago that said, um, if Paul was still here, America would be getting a letter. And so uh, I, I tend to agree with that. But I, my prayer today is that uh, we can take that encouragement that Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus uh, and imply that to our lives today, where maybe we would still get a letter, but at least we'd be a little more encouraged uh, as we uh, grew in that. So just to, to, to pick up on what Pastor Luis was saying, Ephesus was an audience of largely Gentiles, mainly a Gentile population, but there, we could all assume that there was also probably a good bit of Jewish believers that were also part of that church and the churches and the nation of Ephesus. Uh, but we learned that uh, the gospel was given to the church of Ephesus, or at least before the church of Ephesus started, the gospel was presented to them by a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And you can read about that uh, in Acts 18 and Acts 19 even talks about where Pastor Luis was last week. Um, and then after that, Paul spends about three years starting and pastoring the church at Ephesus. So you can imagine uh, that task, especially after, you know, he walked 790 miles to be there with them. Uh, you would assume that maybe he had a pretty good honorarium, but uh, he didn't. Um, 
So he's, he's teaching and pastoring there for about three years and getting it started. And then Timothy, his protege, takes over and led there for some time. And then it's even said that John himself uh, led there and pastored there as well. But when you read this letter, there's a couple issues that you kind of pull from, hence to why Paul is writing this letter in the first place, is that Ephesus was a powerhouse. They were uh, known to have two separate temples of foreign gods, one of them the god of fertility, and that specific temple was even known as one of the ancient wonders of the world. So this was a big, big nation, big cities, uh, full of money, full of wealth, full of riches uh, by the world's standards. And then the other issue was that they probably had a lot of people trying to be the teacher, trying to be the preachers. And so this is where this letter comes into play and how we can better explain it. Because if you read any of Paul's letters, there's a running theme of this issue or battle against false teaching, right? So depending on the letter that you're reading, the false teachers may be coming from different angles, whether it's foreign religions or even within the Christian community that teaching wrong. Like we even saw that battle between Paul and even Peter when Peter would try to live like a Jew when he was around Jewish folks and then live like a Gentile when he was around Gentiles. So that is creating confusion. So that's a large issue right now is confusion. I want you to think about maybe when you uh, accepted Jesus into your heart or you started this relationship with Jesus, that experience into Christianity was strictly based off just that, that, that experience. You had this incredible encounter with the presence of God. You became a Christian, but you had zero knowledge. Do you remember that moment? Maybe God found you at your weakest and lowest and darkest moment, and he saved you from that. Maybe you're like me, and you grew up in church, and everywhere you went, uh, you were at church. Um, I tell a lot of people my, my journey is that I grew up in a Catholic church till I was 16. I was in, or well, I until I was 16, but even when I was in middle school, I was a part of a youth group at a Methodist church, and then in high school and into college, I was a part of a youth group in the college ministry at a Southern Baptist church, and then I found myself at a Pentecostal church, and so you can imagine, I had a lot of questions, right? When it came to God, I had a lot of questions, and there were even moments in my life where I would associate myself uh, with older men and couples and people in church so that I could learn. And even sometimes, based off of the type of church I was at, depended on what answers I was getting, right? So when I think of that moment for me, uh, this is going to sound a little uh, perhaps redneck or country, but, you know, I'm from North Alabama. But, uh, you know, I, my moment was at a thing called Truth Force, and I had a football coach at the time, our offensive line coach, so he's a big guy, who was a part of this Christian team of even bigger guys that would break things. That's the only way I can explain it. It was like these overweight, bodybuilding-looking guys that would wear uh, really small singlets that wrestlers wear, but they would like, uh, for example, my football coach, you know the old, um, the old like, I guess it's like an old heating pad, but they're called water bottles. It's like pink, kind of looks like a big whoopee cushion. Um, he could, he could blow one of those up with his mouth until it exploded. So he showed up after a event at football practice and had like this burn all the way down his cheek because it like popped and slapped him in the face too. And 
great experience. So that's where I was in high school. It was these kind of events. And uh, when I got saved at this event, uh, after a story my football coach told, I then left and went to Kmart and told one of my best friends about my Jesus moment. And this was long enough that where Kmart did in fact exist. So you young people out there, Kmart was like the younger brother to Walmart, and they were usually like right beside each other in the parking lot before Walmart became super. And uh, they even had uh, cafes in them where you could get popcorn and an IC for like 98 cents. And so that was my salvation experience was some redneck power show and Kmart, IC and popcorn. So from that point forward, I had a lot of uh, questions. And um, Perhaps this is where the people of Ephesus is. You know, regardless of your upbringing, my my challenge to you today is to simply kind of step outside of your experience. To step outside of maybe the questions that you do have and to step into this letter that Paul is writing to just receive the blessing and teaching and knowledge that Paul is not only, yes, he wrote to the people of Ephesus, but I believe he's writing to us today. That if we apply these things to our lives, we can understand that in fact, as I have entitled this message today, is that the rich gets richer. So let me go ahead and mention, if if you're like me and you go to church and you hear a money message, you kind of roll your eyes a little bit. This has nothing to do with money, I promise. Um, But what does it mean to be rich in Christ? What does it mean to be wealthy in Christ? And that's what we're going to talk about today, because, again, we're stepping into this place of maybe this issue that the people of Ephesus were having. It's twofold. Confusion and this battle with false, false teachers and then also getting complacent where they were so that they got to a place of where they forgot their why. So hold on to that as we journey through this. But what does it mean for the rich to get richer? And I was thinking about even from that place of confusion, if you ever want to be confused when it comes to theology, maybe enroll in a ministry school where about 100 other of the students that's starting with you are all from all walks of life. And uh, that happened to me, and that's the largest part of where Uh, I wasn't really sure what I believed, and that's probably what a ministry school student shouldn't say when they start ministry school. But I found myself having this conversation with some of my classmates, uh, with one person who literally just got saved at our student conference a few weeks before that and was told, you should probably go to ministry school. And so, you know, carrying on what he was saying, and we went into 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do that here at Generation. But like I said, I grew up Catholic, so I knew about Lent the closest thing to fasting that I knew about. I would usually give up, you know, candy or french fries or something like that. But I never really understood the principle of fasting. And so I wasn't looking forward to it. I like to eat. It's one of my favorite things. And so um, I eat all the time. I've had to have my gallbladder removed because I like to eat too much. And uh, so I'm working on that. But when I'm told that I can't eat, uh, I wasn't very happy. So to walk into this conversation with some people I was in ministry school with to then sit through an argument of whose Daniel fast was correct, um, I pretty much quit fasting right then. I think I left and went to McDonald's and uh, 
got a Big Mac, and maybe I should have come back and sat at this table while this argument's going on, while stuffing my face with a Big Mac. But what do we do with this confusion? How do we stay true to what the Word of God says over what this confusion is going on? This is one of and part of the message that Paul is delivering to this church. That's the first issue. And so as we jump into what things say and how we understand what the scripture is saying of what it means to be wealthy and what it means to be truly rich, we have to understand a few things. Charles Spurgeon says, if we think little of what God has done for you, you will do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you will be greatly grateful for your gracious God. How can we expect to live for God if we never think about him? How can we expect to receive the blessings of God if we only focus on God when things are going bad? Because true riches aren't uh, on the same level as what worldly riches are. Have you noticed that most of our issues on this side of heaven are usually uh, completely connected to the issues when it comes to our blessings and riches on this side of heaven. We don't think about eternity always. We don't think about what God has done. We don't think about how we're even in this position with God, not because we earned it, but because he freely gave it to us. We have to have that in our mind. And this brings us to the other issue, is that I think the church in Ephesus became more about duty than the relationship. They became more about serving than spending time with God. They became more about looking like a Christian, but forgetting that they needed to be with God in the first place. And earlier this year, I was I had committed to reading the one year Bible and, you know, everything's going great. And then you get really busy or you go through a tough season and you skip a day and you're like, man, I got to start all over now. And you feel like you just ruined it all, right? And I think a large part of this with Ephesus is the point where whether it was due to the confusion and the false teachers and the issues that they were having, they then forgot their why. They forgot that they needed God all along. So they began to almost try to earn their way to God instead of freely receiving the gift from God. Warren Wiersbe says this, he says that instead of spending it all, Jesus paid it all. His death and resurrection make our salvation possible. We're going to spend some time on this in a few minutes, but notice that this quote and what he's encouraging us with is that it says nothing about what you have to do. It says nothing about you leading this many small groups or knowing this much scripture or uh, being able to pray and sound like you're quoting the King James Version. It's not saying any of that. But it's saying that Jesus paid it all. And it's his death and his resurrection that makes our salvation possible. You don't earn it, it's given freely. And so as we think about even this issue, there's a verse in Revelations 2, verses 2 through 4. And this speaks to that issue and what Ephesus was dealing with. I know your works, your toll, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. 
So when you read that part, you're kind of thinking like, man, they're getting a good letter, right? Maybe we did figure it out. Maybe we were doing the right thing. But then you read verse 4, and you realize that the issue was actually pretty severe. And he says this, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And I think this is where we may find a lot of ourselves today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but at some point you've probably been burnt out. Maybe not just spiritually, maybe it's with your job in general, but you've probably reached some level of burnout. And even if we were to look at your relationship with God or trying to figure out if you're on the right path with God, it's so easy to base our circumstances and our relationship with God of what we think we see or feel in our lives. Well, this season's hard. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm going the wrong direction. If it was God's will for my life and I was in God's will for my life, then it would be easy. That's a lie. Because when you're in the center of God's will, that means the devil is going to do all he can to make you question so that you personally can derail everything that God's trying to do in your life. The direction he's trying to lead you. The riches he's trying to give you. So it's time to go back to our why. That first moment, right? Like for me, at the weight thing and then going to Kmart. Like I, I knew nothing, but I had everything. I didn't even know that the devil was going to try to take it from me. I was in such a pure moment with the Lord that finally I felt like I could experience or had experienced the incredible love of Christ. And there was nothing that was going to change it. And then I went to school on Monday. (laughs) But I think this is what what we're reading in Revelation 2 is that remember your first love. Remember me. Stop trying to do the duty. Stop trying to go and do all the right things. Yes, you're doing right, but you have not brought me with you. How many of you know that as a Christian, we could play Christian? And we could look pretty darn good at playing Christian. You can host people at your house and pray for people and even see miracles happen without God being there with you, even for his name. Right? The Bible is even clear on that. We cast out demons in your name. We healed in your name. We prophesied in your name. But then Jesus says, but I didn't know you. It's the most sobering verse in all of Scripture, I think. So don't forget your why. Don't let the confusions of this world, and certainly in America, being forced to believe things and, what, and telling you that you're wrong or judgmental and all this stuff, it doesn't matter. Because we are rich in Christ. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. We're never going to influence the world if we're more worried about what the world thinks than what God thinks. And Paul is pleading. It's fascinating that he's writing this from prison. If anyone had a chance to check out and probably should have, it was Paul. But yet he's writing this letter in the, one of the lowest points of his life, encouraging a whole nation to remember your first love. You think Paul would have been able to do that if he wasn't remembering his first love? We know Paul's path. You think if he just focused on how he held Stephen's jacket while he was being stoned to death, 
If that's where his, his mind stayed and his focus was, that he would ever be able to see the redemptive power of God in his life? Do you think he would have ever been able to write everything he wrote that makes up most of the New Testament if he focused on his life as Saul instead of the redemptive work when he became Paul? It's the same story for you. And it's the, his pleading to the people of Ephesus. Throw the pressure off. Let it go. And I don't mean like frozen. My wife told me I needed to use that joke. But let go of the pressure. It's just going to hold you down. When you hold on to the pressure tighter than you're holding on to the grace of God, that's when everything becomes a duty. That's when you set a goal to read the Bible and you don't, you feel like a failure. When you haven't prayed in three days, you feel like a failure. When you walk through the grocery store and you feel like God told you to speak to someone and you don't, you're a failure. That's not true. We need to do those things. We need to walk in that authority. We need to share the gospel. That is the purpose for believers on earth is not just to be selfish with the faith that we have, but let it, go, let it out and share it with people so that they encounter God just like you did. But at the end of the day, God doesn't need our service. He wants it. He wants a relationship more than anything else. Everything we do on this earth is a byproduct of the relationship that God deeply desires to have with you. That's it. You don't serve to build that relationship. The relationship is already there. I didn't say this last service, but when I think about uh, Olivia and Amelia, my, my two girls, Olivia's three and a half. She just started school, and now she seems like she's 14, and Amelia's two and a half. That relationship, my relationship with Amelia, one and a half, sorry. It's all a blur. Um, <laughs> But that relationship with both of my God or both of my kids is not created by how they serve me. That relationship with Olivia and Amelia is not dictated by what they can give me. Amelia can barely talk. All she can say now is done and mom. Most of the time. Olivia... I don't know how many times I found myself arguing with her. I'm like, I'm arguing with a three-year-old and I'm really passionate about winning this argument. <laughs> and I still lose every time. And she's three and a half. Like we were at soccer practice yesterday and her coach asked her what her name was and her response was, I already told you that. But my relationship with them is not based off of what they can give me. It's based off of my love for them. I would do things for them that I wouldn't do for anyone else because I love them and they're a part of me. It's not based off what they can give me. Trust me, if it was, we'd be in a world of trouble. And it's the same thing with God. There are times in your life, there's times in my life where there's just nothing you could give God where you're empty, you're burnt out. Everything, every part of your faith has become so much of a duty that you have nothing left to give God but your heart. And guess what? He's standing there every time with open arms. Why? Because he's the one that has dictated the relationship between you and him. Sure, it takes obedience. Sure, it takes faith. 
And there is action on our ends, but that's not what dictates this blessing. Charles Spurgeon says this, our thanks are due, our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. They are more than we deserve, but our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better to have the best is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed infinitely more blessed than to own broad acres of land. God has blessed us with spiritual blessings. These are the rarest, the richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value. So when we realize that that's where our wealth comes from, then we realize that there is not a value on this earth that will ever amount to the true riches in Christ and the blessings that God wants to give you. I saw a video um, this morning, actually. Of, it was about a congressman, how he got all this money. I have no idea. But he supposedly has a $60 million yacht and then a $12 million airplane. How he's got all this stuff beats me. None of that is going to go to heaven with him. None of that is going to pass on into eternity, I should say, with him. And yet none of that even holds a candle to the value of the true riches in Christ. There is not a single dime, penny, possession on this earth, not a single role, job, reputation that you think you might want that will ever hold a candle to the value of the eternal blessings and riches that only comes from God. That's what Paul wants us to see. You can't go back to your first love without realizing the riches that comes from your first love. It's time to go back. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is that I want to impact our text. I want to dig some things out, and we're going to, I said impact, unpacked, weird word, sorry. Um, unpack uh, this passage, 11 verses, and I want to start by reading Ephesians 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what makes this even so much more powerful to me is that Paul then takes a journey through not just what God can do for us as God, but he breaks down the Trinity. He breaks down the Godhead, that we receive a rich blessing from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we accept and receive those riches that only comes from God, then we are abundantly rich. Okay, And so a disclaimer here, I know a lot of us, especially if you spend any amount of time in theology, is that I'm going to use a couple words that are either strange to you or speak to a specific, specific doctrine within the Christian faith. I don't want to go there this morning. I believe the message that Paul is trying to reveal to us is much deeper than that. So I challenge you to study this on your own, dig into the scriptures on your own, and let the Holy Spirit drive you to your conclusion 
of what the text is saying. So you'll see on your notes or your handout, it says the blessed breakdown or the blessed breakdown. Number one is we are chosen and adopted into his family. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 says he predestined us for adoption for himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so when we read that, Paul is first as God the Father trying to show the people, excuse me, of Ephesus so that they could see you are chosen and adopted by God into his family. That's where it starts. I don't think if you believe that or you receive that, you could receive any of the blessings that come from Jesus or that comes from the Holy Spirit. That you are chosen and adopted into his family. Predestined is like a foreknowledge, being foreknown. That he knew you before the moment you chose to follow him. Yet he chose you and adopted you into his family. So we are chosen and adopted. Number two is that we are redeemed, forgiven, and given an inheritance through the work of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, when he came to earth fully man, as a baby, grew up, perfect life, went to the cross for me and for you, gave up everything, his life included, to die for you in today. On August 20th, 2023, his death on the cross so long ago was for you. And through that, his blood, the perfect sacrifice, washed you of your sins and cleansed you so that you could be made right before God. You are given an inher- uh, you are redeemed, forgiven, and given an inheritance. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Without his blood, there is no redemption. Without the work of the cross, there is no, forget, or there is no uh, freedom from the sins in our lives. That redemption leads to forgiveness of our sins. And as it, the verse goes on, according to, be, the, to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And then jumping down to verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so you're seeing a theme, right? We went to this, we talked about this briefly earlier. So far, I don't see anything that's asking me to do something. That's asking me to do something to earn something, right? This is all action and given by the work of God the Father and now God the Son. Number three says we are sealed into the gift of salvation through the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I don't mean the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't mean like the laying on of hands and receiving these gifts. I don't mean that. When you experience salvation, you are uh, sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit that's already working in your life. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit... That is when you are trying or you're believing and manifesting the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit to work through you and operate through you for other people's benefit. Does that make sense? 
So when you experience salvation, the Holy Spirit is at work in you, sealing everything, sealing the, uh, the, the adoption, right? Sealing the uh, redemption and inheritance through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we consider this and we move on in our text, it's important to pick up on one thing. In our short 11 verses, you will see in him or in Christ some combination six times. You will see his will three times. You will see something maybe once or mentioned even twice where it's his his grace or he blessed or he chose. And what makes this so powerful for us to understand today is that it has nothing to do with what I can give God, but what he chose to give me. I didn't die to receive anything. I didn't give up my life to initially receive anything. Jesus did. I didn't have to buy something to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't have to earn my way or bribe God or force God. That's all the belief of all these foreign gods is that you have to essentially bribe them so that they can love you back or look at you without fault. But yet God, full of his rich richness and wealth, chose us because he wanted to, adopted us into his family, and then gave us the redemptive power and work of the cross and sealed it with the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with me. It's a free gift. That is love. That is grace. That we will not receive that or cannot receive that if we don't receive God's grace first. And so as we move into this idea and as we get ready to close out this sermon and as we prepare our hearts these 13 or these 11 verses prepare the way for the entire rest of the book so i encourage you as we pick up next week um, are you pastor Brian? pastor ray's preaching next week as we jump into the rest of chapter 1 see we're 3 weeks into this series and we're still in chapter 1 it's going to be good and it's going to be rich and we're going to experience the same thing that God, that Paul is pleading for the church at Ephesus to, to experience and to understand. So come ready to learn that. But as we get ready to close, when we receive the blessing of God, then we're able to understand how rich we are. Remember, there is no value on this side of heaven that will ever amount to the true riches of God. And because of the work of the cross, Jesus has given you access to those riches. He's opened up a heavenly bank account for you, if you will, full of his riches. And the end result of that is eternity, a new heaven and a new earth spent with God for eternity. That's the investment. That's when you cash in your investment of these spiritual blessings and riches that only come from God is eternity with him. That's what I want. That's what I want for you because Lord knows I'm going to royally mess up this life on this side of heaven more times than I'm ever going to get it right. So there's a few things that we can understand when it comes to true riches. And first is that true riches come from God, right? This is no secret. We've been talking about this the whole time. True riches come from God. 
It's comforting to know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is working on my behalf to make me rich in him. Right? He's not giving me some gift card that's going to run out. It's depressing when that happens, especially when it's a Rex Cafe gift card. That last coffee, it's just like, I need another gift card. It doesn't run out. We are rich because of what they do. We are rich because of what God has done in our life, not by what we do. Matthew 6, 19, verses 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me ask you this question. Where is your heart? Is your heart tied to the riches of this world? Is your heart tied to uh, what you're trying to develop for your life? There's nothing wrong with chasing after things. But when those become the most important thing in your life, it becomes an idol. When riches on this side of heaven is the most important thing, it's an idol. But when you focus on God, those are blessings, right? It's interesting when that happens, but it doesn't stop there. Number two is that true riches come by grace and for his glory. We are rich through God's grace and God knows we do not deserve it. In turn, we're able to glorify him. Paul mentions this three times as he talks about the blessings that we get from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In some way, he mentions that the result of those blessings is simply to glorify God through his grace. That's it. That we are rich not to make ourselves famous, not to make ourselves known, but to glorify God. In your notes, it says Philippians 1.19. It's actually 4.19. Uh, but it says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So again, not to just be repetitive, but I feel like it's important to continue to pound into our heads because I know I need it. Is that we are rich and our blessings and our needs are according to his riches and glory and in Christ Jesus. Warren Wiersbe says this, it says, His creation reveals his wisdom and power, but his church reveals his love and grace. You cannot deserve or earn these spiritual riches. You can only receive them by grace through faith. Faith that God is who he says he is, and that he's going to do what he promised he's going to do. That's where you find the rich, riches of God, is in his, through his grace, grace and through faith. And as the band comes up, we get ready to close this morning. The last thing is that true riches are just the beginning. Because when you step into a relationship with God, these riches aren't saying that, hey, your life now is going to be easy. It's not saying that uh, you're just going to be immensely blessed and you're going to be able to do absolutely everything you need to do from this point forward and you're never going to struggle and you're never going to hurt. It's not saying that at all. 
But when you're a Christian and you step into a relationship with God, you have eternity waiting. You are blessed, and like I mentioned a few minutes ago, that is the investment. They're just the beginning of the life that God has for us. First, we are rich because we know we are heading where we're heading. Eternity with God makes us, as believers, the richest people on earth. These riches were planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, and presented by the Holy Spirit. That's what we have to hold on to. And that is what makes us rich. So if I could sum up this entire message in one sentence. If you get anything today, this is what I want you to understand. Is that we are not rich because of who we are or what we have. But we are rich because of whose we are and what he has done. And when we believe that, that is the start of a life full of spiritual blessing and wealth. It's through those blessings and through that, those riches that we find strength to make it through the hard times, to make it through the struggles, to make it through the sicknesses. And so I don't know where or what you might be carrying today. We're all walking through something, but what I do want you to understand is that without Jesus, we're poor. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Without God the Father, we're orphans. Without Jesus, we're on this crash course of being miserable because we're not redeemed, we're not forgiven. And we have no inheritance. We have nowhere to go. We have nothing to look forward to. We might think we can in this life. We might find something that helps or numbs the pain for a while. But without Jesus and without the inheritance that only he can give us, we're going nowhere. And without the Holy Spirit, it's all for nothing. Because of him, we are sealed into the work of the cross. And so I want to give you that opportunity today. I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front or even raise your hand, but I do want to pray for you and encourage you that if you haven't received these blessings or these riches, let today be the day. Why wait? Every one of us can walk out of here today, the richest person on the planet, because we have Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you this morning for who you are and not by anything I've done or any skill that I think I might possess am I rich but because of what you've done for me on the cross who you say that I am the gifts you've given me the salvation that I have in you it's because of you that I am rich and I pray for whoever's in here that might not know you or might even be far from far from you that we just take a moment and turn everything over to you that through a repentive heart we turn around back to you we ask for your forgiveness we ask for your grace and Father I thank you as we close today Lord that if anything we walk out of here knowing you a little bit better, knowing how rich we are in you, 
knowing what we possess because you are in us. That there is no struggle on this earth, there's no struggle in this life that could ever rob us of the riches that you've placed inside of us because they all come from you. They're not earned, but they're freely given. So we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.